All right, we're going to settle in here. We are coming to a close of our time in Ecclesiastes. We are now in chapter eight and we're going to be taking uh, the rest of these weeks in larger. Uh, I'm sorry. We, yes, we're in chapter nine and we're going to be in taking larger chunks uh, for the next three weeks as we conclude Ecclesiastes. Uh, but it's been a good series, hasn't it? I mean, uh, Solomon has really just uh, tapped in uh, to some hard questions in which we've not been able to answer. And so that's been good. All right, we're gonna do a little CPR to start out this morning. So um, we're gonna need a test dummy to come on up and I'm gonna try to revive you, I'm kidding. All right, so the very first thing that you wanna do in CPR is um, you, you want to see if this person that's struggling um, has a pulse. And a pulse represents something. And so if you could take these two fingers, put one on the lobe, one on your jawbone, put them together and come straight down here, about there, right there, huh? Yeah, just there, pretty V, and then straight down and see if you can get your pulse. Come on, Shane, darling. Can you feel it? All right, you should be able to feel your heartbeat. All right, go ahead, feel it though. And then when you feel your heartbeat, I want you to say these, this word as many times as you feel it beat. I want you to say alive, 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 alive. Go ahead, crowd participation, alive. Some of you have very rapid heart rates and some of you are on your way to comatose. All right, so do, do you feel, right? So look to your neighbor, look them in the eye, right? And say, I'm alive. So this, this makes that true. And so for most of us in here, right? Okay, let's just go ahead and say all of us. For all of us in here, we are, we welcome to living, everybody. Here's why we do this, because Solomon has been so depressing, right? And so morbid that he is going to remind us, men and women, middle schoolers and high schoolers, guess what? We are alive and we have lots to rejoice in because we have those, that one simple phrase is that you and I are alive. Solomon is going to look at us and he is going to say something so strong and so, I mean, you thought that some of his other comments were very, I mean, just, just shocking. But today he's actually going to command us to actually not just instruct, but to in command us that you and I, men and women who feel your pulse, especially if you're following after Christ, we are going to be commanded to enjoy the life that God gives us. There's no ifs, no ands, no buts, that if you are alive, in which you all confessed to, right? This is not me, this is you. You confessed it. Then you are to enjoy life. That's it. And he will actually put this idea that you need to enjoy life into command language. 
We've heard of the Ten Commandments before, how God has commanded us to do things. And yet in Ecclesiastes, underneath the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, what King Solomon is going to tell you and I, that he is going to command us that we are going, we have to enjoy life. And the reason that we have to enjoy is that it is a gift from God. And so when you say alive, alive, alive with every beat of your heart, every breath in your lung, that is a gift from God himself and we are to enjoy it. And so this morning, we want to challenge us that what we believe about God, right, is something. But how we work out or how we live out that belief is something else. Most of us in here, some of us in here, admit that we are a God follower, or we would even say that we are a Christ follower. And, but the way that we live our life is not in the kind of the doctrinal way, where you believe that Jesus is the one and only way unto salvation, or you believe that God is sovereign. Most of you don't struggle in those kinds of beliefs, or what we would call the tenets of our faith, where you and I struggle is actually in the day-to-day, where we struggle with God and where we struggle with relationships actually is how you and I breathe and move and have our being. And what Solomon is saying is, yes, it's doctrinal, but this week is so very practical. He wants you and I to wake up every morning, and when we wake up, we say, we're alive, and that must mean that it's a gift from God, his mercies are what? New every morning, every day and every breath and every heartbeat is a gift from God. And so what are we going to do? We're going to challenge you with one thing. We're going to say to you that um, one of the most spiritual things that you can do, uh uh-oh, this is strong. One of the most spiritual things that you can do is to enjoy the life that God gives you. This is not to replace reading your Bible or praying to God or attending church, but one of the most spiritual things that you can do is to see God as the giver of life and for you to enjoy it. The way that we're going to do that is to realize that uh, that God is the giver of life. Verse 1 says this. This is chapter 9 in Ecclesiastes. It should be printed in your worship guide. But all this I have laid to heart. Solomon uses these phrases because he's summing things up. But all this, this is connected also to chapter 8. But all this I have laid to heart, examining it all. This phrase is important because we believe that Solomon is good at what he does. And what he has done so far in all of Ecclesiastes is he has been a keen observer of life. He's been able to sum up life in ways that you and I would not be able to do so. But all this I have laid to heart, examining it all. And when he says it, it means examining everything under the sun. He's looked at every quadrant of life and he says, I have tried to consolidate these things, examining it all. How the righteous and the wise and their deeds are, and you can say that with me, are in the hand of God. And so if we are to enjoy life, the very first thing that you and I need to believe is that God is the giver of life. It's his idea that we're even here in the first place. 
And so before we even enjoy our breathing or enjoying our going, we must first and foremost believe that God is the one who has given us these things. All right, number two, we're gonna, believe, we're gonna see that the same event happens to us all, all right? So number one is God is the giver. And number two, so giver means gift, right? Or source or the beginning, right? Now the same event that happens to us all, we're about to understand our bookends. Start in verse two. It is the same for all. See that word, same? It is the same for all. Since the same event, there it is twice, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked. So whatever is going on, this sameness, this uniformity, it happens to both the wicked people and the good people, all right? There's now quadrants. There's, there's now just this, this expanse, both the good and the bad. And yet he's bringing us to the middle and he's saying the same thing is happening to us all, both to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil. There he is again. To the clean and the unclean. See the contrasts over and over and over. To him who sacrifices and to him who does not sacrifice. To the good one, so is the sinner. And he who swears is, who he swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the, the hearers of the hearts of the children of man are full of evil. The madness is in their heart while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. And so what is the same event that happens to us all? The same event is this idea that you and I, we die. That someday, when some person has to put their fingers on the very neck that you just touched, you will be stone cold dead. This is the same event that happens to us all. And the way that makes very little sense to us, but makes great clarity to Solomon himself, he says God is the source of all life. He's the beginning of all life. And then just a matter of seconds, he goes and he wants you and I to focus on the end. He wants you and I to then look at this thing that will happen to us all. And when he says all, he means everybody because the righteous and the wicked, the good and the evil, on and on and on and on, no matter what the compare and contrast that you can draw, the same event is going to happen to us all. And that all is death. And death is the most horrific evil on planet earth because death is the thing that, that, that will come after us. In the scriptures, it's, it's talked about as being tragic, dangerous, Evil, dark, sheol, abandonment. All of these words are claiming this idea that death is coming for us and it is no friend of ours. In fact, it's the time in which we probably are the most worried because we know this, we know what life is, but some of us don't know what it looks like to come and touch and even think about what the end may be. And the reason that sin or the reason that death comes for all of us is that you and I have done it to ourselves. You and I have sinned, Romans tells us, and we have been separated from God. And with that separation, in just a blink of an eye, we have separated ourselves and caused our own death. 
We may not understand death, but we need to own it as if it's on us that we will die because the reason that we will die is because of what we have done to reject God and his sovereignty and his goodness. And every single one of us have done it over and over and over and over again. The way the psalmist would put it is that we, have, we are so independent or we are so autonomous or we are so, we want to do it our own way. The psalmist would say that the, the man or the woman of God actually plants himself or herself next to a stream of water and its roots will grow deep into the soil and tap into the source of, 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 of water that will nourish the tree and cause leaves not to wither and fruit to be born. And so when we are independent or autonomous, we actually remove ourselves from the river. We remove ourselves from the source or the water that we need, which is God himself and everything withers up. And so you don't look the same way you looked when you were 21. And there's a reason for that. You don't feel the way that you used to feel when you played peewee, you know, t-ball. There's a reason for that. And it's because of this, this natural process called life. And so why in the world would the same event, this idea of death, actually be the very thing that we need to enjoy life? Why is that? Well, because. Number three, he says that there is a reason for this. There's actually real advantages for being alive. Look at this in verse four. But he who is joined with all, right, the living has hope. There it is. Our very first kind of understanding that one is a giver of life, but that the very, there's an advantage to being alive. And that advantage is that you have a hope. You have a future. There's opportunity there. And uh, all the living has hope for, and he gives us a proverb. He gives us a moment of clarity. He says, because or for a living dog is better than a dead lion. Now that's an interesting way to put life and death. This idea that puppies are the cutest things on planet earth, that these dogs are man's best friends, right? Well, in the early days, right? In the time of Solomon is that dogs were definitely not man's best friends. It definitely, we didn't hang stockings over our mantles, right? In these times, all right? So he's teaching about a thousand years before Jesus, all right? So that we're now talking 3,000 years has passed. And along with the evolution of all kinds of things, the thoughts on animals have definitely advanced because we are bringing them into our homes. They're giving us fleas. We are taking them to a barber. We're taking them to a dentist. We pay $30,000 to have their pancreas removed. I mean, do you need your pancreas, by the way? I don't know. But anyway, you get what I'm saying. Like, the, well, whoever's in this passage is not who's living at, at home, all right? So no disrespect to Fido or Philo or whoever you name, right? The preppy little names that you give them. But this is not it because these animals are creatures. These these creatures are mongrels. These are the, like the, the bottom dwellers of all bottom dwellers. So this is a mangy dog. And what Solomon's saying is the king of the jungle, a lion, the one who roars, the one who's able to stand up, the one that makes everyone tremble, a mangy dog who has breath in its lungs is better than the most majestic thing that is now dead. It's better for that because that has some type of hope 
in which even the most majestic, when they fall, they truly fall. And so he's looking at us and he's saying to us, you see the mange, right? You see this poor living animal, right? And you see this guy, who doesn't want to be on this side of the stage? And yet Solomon, with great, he says, there's a real advantage to being alive, right? So that even him, even that guy is better if he's going to be dead. That's striking to us. That's striking. None of us would come to this wisdom on our own. And yet Solomon does. And so this is how you start to begin to understand and to enjoy life, that God's the giver of it. And that death is really coming for us all and that there is a real advantage to having breath in your lungs right now because at least he's alive. At least there's a chance this guy will find a wonderful home. There's hope for this guy that maybe there is a veterinarian, right? If he's dead and gone, he's got no hope. This guy, at least maybe, just maybe he'll find somebody to love. And so in a real way, all right, this is what happens. This, this is how it happens. Is that Solomon is giving us the bad news. And he's saying to us, you're going to die. And as striking as that statement is, he needs you, all right, to be sober in this moment. And he's not being a defeatist, right? Defeatist is just seeing everything negative. He's just he's simply being a realist. And this is what we need in our day and time is someone to speak the truth to us. And he's being, he's being a truth teller. And so when you go to your personal trainer at the gym and he says, yeah, you're a few pounds overweight. Or if you don't get your act together, you're going to have a heart attack. Or if you continue to pick up the Marlboro Reds, you're going to like it's going to be bad for you. What your trainer is telling you, right, is all of this bad news, but it is for your good. He, wouldn't, he didn't love you if he didn't tell you the truth. And he knows that all of these things are more true than even what's happening now. And he wants to see you change. And this is what Solomon wants, this great crescendo, is he wants you and I to change. And he wants you and I to see life for what it is. And for you and I to see it as a gift from God and to begin to enjoy it. Do you enjoy your life? Like of all of the adjectives that you would use to explain your life, would you say enjoyment or joy would be one of those things that you would use to describe your life? I don't know. I don't know what you would use to describe where you currently are. And yet Solomon says, right, if we're all alive, that enjoyment should be one of those adjectives. And if it's not, there's probably something more wrong with us than there is about life. Because there's an advantage. The living have hope. The living have an opportunity. The living have something right, that the dead will never be able to grasp again, is this idea to continue to point to Jesus, to point to God and give glory to him over and over and over. Yeah, yeah, preacher, I know, I know, but what you would never believe the last year. I get it. I understand. Yeah, but you don't know what kind of situation I'm going, I get it. 
I'm just sharing with you from the wisest person on planet earth minus Jesus. He says, if you're able to do this, you feel it. Instead of just saying, alive, alive, alive. There's a way that you can say gift, 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 gift. Life is not something to trifle about something to be dismissive about. It's truly something to hold on to and to enjoy fully and completely. And this is where it gets really shocking to us because he then looks and he transitions and he's going to actually answer this question. All right, so how in the world should we live if we're going to live in enjoyment? How should we do this? And he says this, He says in verse 7, 7, go, eat your bread with joy. Enjoy your life. It's there in the passage. Go, enjoy your bread with joy. Okay. And drink your wine with what? A merry heart. Again, another emotive word. This idea that we are, it's to to cheer us. For God has already, and here's another word, approved what you do. Let your garments always be white and let oil uh, and not oil be lacking on your head. Here's another great word. You ready for it? Enjoy. Enjoy the uh, life with the wife whom you love. All the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun. Because that is is your portion in life and your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. And here is the paragraph of all paragraphs. This is the idea that we are to enjoy our life. So far, Ecclesiastes has really impacted my life and has changed me in in a lot of different ways. The major themes for me is this idea that everything is vanity. Remember this idea of vanity? This idea that it's up in smoke. It's like a vapor. It can happen. I mean, just it's gone in an instant. And he's looking at everything under the sun. He's saying everything is vanity. It's going to come to a close. That has shaped me fundamentally. In chapter three, it tells us about time and space and God's sovereignty. And he gives us these positive and negative experiences that all of us go through. Whether we laugh or cry, we are born, we die, we gather, we scatter, there's war or peace. And instead of making those extremes positive or negative, he says everything is beautiful in its time. Meaning that everything is not positive or negative, but instead it's necessary for us to live. And this theme that he will actually end Ecclesiastes with is this idea that you and I are to fear God. But in the middle here, after chapter three, is this mantra that comes to the conclusion here that's happened in chapter two and three and four and six, eight, nine, and 11. This idea, this undercurrent of enjoy your life. And this is the paragraph that should stun us But he tells us, he commands us to go and enjoy your life. And the reason I use the word command is that all of these words are imperatives. And so some of you know the Great Commission, go ye therefore into all nations, baptizing. Like that's a command to go seek 
the, the kingdom of God. Like this is a command. This is an imperative. All of these verbs are commands. They're imperatives for you to go and for you to eat over and over and over. The way that you enjoy your life is to understand that God has commanded you something different. And he says it a little bit like this. He says, you are to go. That means you are to get up out of bed every single morning, put on your pants or your shirt, your sweater, do whatever you need to do, but you get up and you go because, this, because every single day is a gift from God. So that we are to get up and we're to go. We're not to be lethargic and stay in bed or whatever, try to sleep the lives away. We are truly, we are commanded to go. Some of you are go-getters, right? And this is natural to you. Some of you are not. Some of you like to pass all of your life away, <clears throat> teenagers. Um, all of you like to sleep your lives away. That's okay, right? You'll come out of it, right? You'll get a degree at some point. You'll understand responsibility, but that's okay. Um, I'm not speaking to my kids at all. No, not at all. But you are to go. This is a command. Wake up. You're live. Hello. Let's do this, right? And then he says to eat. Eat the bread. Eat right? We love this word. There's a table on our logo. So do it and do it well, right? And do it. The, uh, eat your bread with joy. If you have food, which so many of us do, we don't even understand starvation or even just the fact that it could be taken away from us. But if it's in front of you, consume it and consume it well. Have a cheery attitude about it. You know, invite your friends, right? Throw a party, whatever it is, but to do this. But this is a command. In the same way we are told, told to go, we are actually commanded. It's an imperative to eat your bread with joy. Have you heard this before? I mean, with the command, is this the type of God that you have worshiped maybe for 10 or 20 years? These are the types of commands that he's given you because it's a gift from him and he wants you to enjoy it. He goes on to say, oh, this is, this is probably a little sticky, right? However, he's the one who says it, not me, right? But he tells you and I to drink. We're not gonna talk about the substance, right? Right, that'll get everybody in trouble, right? But there is this idea that drinking, right? Brings gladness of heart brings merriment to your life. And so, yes, he springs alcohol and makes everybody sweat a little bit because we don't know what to do with this. However, he says from the fruit of the vine that Israel grew from, he uses these ideas that we are to enjoy life. And part of that is around the table with friends that we get up and we go, we find ourselves at a table. We find the food or whatever we have in front of us to consume and we do it with joy. He then says something about what we wear. He says something about our garments and he also says something to do with our face. This is very interesting because he tells us to wear white garments and put to oil on our face. Both of this is we're getting ready to a, for a party, right? For all of these things. Some of us go to parties and we wear festive clothes. In that, in that uh, culture, white was the purest and the best and the most luxurious of all colors. And so when you put on white linen and when you put oil on your face, you're getting ready to go and enjoy life, to enjoy it, to step into it. So he tells us to get ready. And then he tells us this idea to enjoy life with your wife, whom you love. Some of you are not married in here, right? 
it would still be just as true to enjoy the relationships that are around us. Some of us feel like we're loners or that we're left all by ourselves or that we have no one to listen to. But the Lord does tell us that there are relationships that he has formed, beautiful, wonderful relationships that he is responsible for, that you are to enjoy. And then very specifically to this passage, it's the husband and the wife relationship. That if you are married in here, you are to enjoy that. But what if you don't? What happens if you don't? Fact is that maybe, just maybe, if you've stopped this, you've forgotten that it's a gift from God that he has given us and we're trying to replace that other person for someone else because you've become dissatisfied with what, what is right in front of you. And that's the point. If God is the giver, no matter how good or bad, if God is the giver, he's giving you the opportunity to engage with what is right in front of you well. And then he says to do. This is the last imperative. This is the last command is for you to do it with all your might, talking about your work, for you to get up and you go and you make a killing, right? You go to work every day. You provide for your families, you use the skill set, the giftedness that God has given you, and you go and you work with your hands, you toil in order to, to bring an income so that you will be able to do all of these things. But the point is, these are not just the, the this is not the end of the list. This is the beginning of the list. Over and over and over, we are told to do, engage in these types of activities so that we would enjoy the life that we have. The theological backdrop of all this is actually found in the garden where God comes to and creates heaven and earth, right? And he puts man and woman, right, uh, in, in a garden where he's able to give them food and drink and just for them to enjoy. And with all of creation, at the end of all creation, guess what you hear these words? This is very good. This is very good. This is good, 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 very good. All of this is a gift from God for us. Some of you hate this message or some of you are very uncomfortable with this message because you believe in this word called asceticism, right? You may not know the word, right? But look it up, right? But this, this idea of asceticism, let me, you may not know the name or the word, but you kind of live this way is that the only way that God will be happy for you or in you is for you to suffer. And so you routinely, right, you bring pain upon yourself or you feel like the most holy way is through dismissal or pain or hurt, meaning that God is most glorified in you, right, when you are the most miserable. And yet here in this passage, we don't see that at all. Instead, we see him as the giver of life and he is the creator of bounty. He's the one with grains and, and colors and fruits and vegetables and different, I mean, you just see it. It's a kaleidoscope of just look at it. And he's saying, enjoy it because this is a gift that I have given you. These are not suggestions. These truly are commands of God to you. This is how God wants to be seen as the giver of life, 
This is his role. This is his characteristic of himself. I thought um, about my Mameline this week. This Mameline is my grandmother. Uh, Mameline passed away when she was 94. And she used to live in Florida. Well, in Florida, uh, being away from her grandkids, she would have to make the trek all the way up to Georgia every Christmas. And if you know anything about my Mameline, right, it's that she was a gift giver. And so she never missed a birthday and she loved Christmas. So she always had like the, the bigger cars, you know, like the old Oldsmobiles or like the Buicks or something, like little lady with a perm, tight perm, right, driving, Miss Davies type thing, like just huge car. So she would drive from Florida up to Georgia and I mean, the windows would bulge. Like, I don't know how glass bulges, but the windows would bulge because this lady would fill these gigantic cars with gifts for her grandkids. She lived a long way away. We didn't see her much. And so her, like, her interaction with us and the way that she wanted to share with us is the fact that she loved to give things to us. Some of you have these people in your life and you just smile thinking about your mamaline in your life where they're thoughtful and they're thinking. But on Christmas morning, it was not the gift that I remember. I almost remember, in, I remember almost nothing that my mamaline actually gave me. But I can still picture that lady anticipating us opening those gifts. I mean, she's like perched forward, chin ready, like she's ready to pounce or something because she was so proud of these gifts. She could not wait for us to tear into it and go, thank you, Mama Lee, right? This is what happened Christmas after Christmas after Christmas. Thank you, Mama Lee. You have a creator who's driving from Florida with windows bulging driving into your life right now on Christmas morning is every morning and he's kind of perched and he's looking at you and he's wondering with great just anticipation what you will do with the gifts that he has given you this morning I want you to walk away that some of the most spiritual things that you can do today is to say thank you to him for the gifts that he has given you it's thanksgiving it's the season of Thanksgiving. And here's my challenge to you this morning. It's for all of you to go eat some lunch, right? Eat, drink, right? enjoy, like go eat, eat well. And maybe spend a couple of hours sometime this week, maybe this afternoon, for you to make your own kind of list. For you actually to look around you and you see the things that God has given to you. The things that he's allowed you to wake up to the types of things that are in your cupboard, the types of drinks that make you merry, whether it's coffee or tea, the gifts, especially, or the, the things that you wear, the, the relationships that are in your life, the work that he's asked you to do, and to see that as God's good gifts to you and for you to enjoy them. One of the most spiritual things that you can do, and this is what you can do, is to look around and see what God has given you and to begin to enjoy them. And there's no person on planet Earth that has ever lived this out like our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who did go to Earth. He left heaven to come to us. This meal 
is about bread and wine. The way that Hebrews would tell us is for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And so somehow, some way, he's able to see this meal, the, the giving of his body and the shedding of his blood and say it is joy for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So that we would wear not just white linens, but linens of righteousness that he gives us so that we can enjoy the relationships that he's given us, but he has made us. It's what he's done for us. He makes us what? The bride of Christ. This is who we are. We're walking into a relationship with him as his bride as we understand that it was his work only that has allowed us to participate in this. Every message is a gospel message. And the way that you live life and the way that you enjoy life is through the prism, right? And through the kaleidoscope of what Jesus Christ has done for us. It's clear in scripture. Jesus says, I've come to give you life. And does anybody know the rest of that, that phrase? I've come to give you life and life to the full. Or I've come to give you life and life abundantly. He is the source of all things. So we can be very secular about this thing, right? Or we can be very religious about this thing. I would encourage that we make this a religious or spiritual discipline to thank Jesus for what he has done for us. Let's pray as we walk toward a, a meal of thanksgiving. And so Jesus Christ, I pray now that we, we seek your forgiveness Because we just don't enjoy the life that you've given us. And this message has caught some of us off guard this morning. And so now we are, we're wondering what to do with these emotions. There are some of you that have walked in with bitterness and pain and frustration, discontentment more than anything. You've walked into this room and not known what to do with it. I pray that this morning has been a morning knowing what to do with those emotions is to give them back to the Lord. As we felt our pulse, Lord, and knowing that we are alive and this life is a gift, I pray for all of you who found themselves discontented in this room this morning that you, your heart has been convicted, that there has been a stoppage in your own heart to wonder what to do with this discontentment or this frustration or this irritation. Some of you have been blaming God for this irritation. Maybe this morning is a time for you to lay that irritation down and to pick up this idea of joy. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. But joy is a very spiritual principle. If you find yourself discontented or are frustrated, irritable, and not knowing what to do, we would encourage you to walk toward the, the prayer corner and, and potentially ask someone to pray for you. And so, Lord Jesus, we pray that we enjoy what is right in front of us. And what's right in front of us is the fact that we are here and we are about to come to this table. Help us to have gladness of heart, not for what we have done, but for what you have done in Jesus' name, amen.
the night that Jesus was betrayed, there was a meal, there was a table, and there was bread and there was wine at that table and relationships. And, it's, and he says, I want you to consume this meal. But this is not just bread, this is the bread of life. And what was supposed to be whole, what was supposed to be like, like supposed to be together and pretty, he rips. And he says, the true sustenance, the true nourishment of life is not consuming this, but consuming me to realizing that I am all the nutrition that you need. And then he took a picture of complete joy, this idea of merriment. He took a chalice of wine and he shares it with his friends. And he says, meal after meal, we have shared a glass and we enjoyed this wine. We've celebrated and we've rejoiced in this. But tonight, I want you to see that your celebration is not in the substance of the wine, but the substance of what the wine represents. Because the shedding of blood is the true forgiveness of sin. The way that we find life, men and women, the way that we find true enjoyment is not living our life to the fullest. Not being a glutton or a drunkard or a workaholic. The way that we truly enjoy life is to live the way that Jesus lived. And he said the way that we live is through these elements. We would encourage you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, to come to the table and partake in true enjoyment, what he has done for us. He's laid down his life for us to give us life. So go ahead and stand, uh, men and women of faith. Uh, these stations are open for you, but if there's something in your heart that you just can't get rid of and you want to engage the prayer corner, just know that we've got men and women around the room that would love to engage you at this time.